This morning's reading is from the New Testament, from the Gospel of John, and we'll be reading from chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. And this section is entitled, Jesus Goes to the Festival of Tabernacles. So John 7, verses 1 to 13. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything public about him for fear of the leaders. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jen. Morning, everyone. We are continuing our series on people encountering Jesus or simply encountering Jesus and the various responses that people made to him. That reading this morning takes us to the issue of Jesus' own brothers and in particular one brother we're going to have a look at. Go to the next slide that we're going to look this morning at James um, who was initially a sceptic but who becomes a passionate follower by the end of this morning's message. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can be together in this place. We thank you for your word and your spirit, and we thank you that you are at work in our world and in our lives. Father, do your work this morning in each of us. Take your word and use it to shape us as disciples of the Lord Jesus. We pray that for everybody, those in the room and for those watching at home. And we pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Jesus grew up in a large family. He had at least six siblings, at least six, and probably more, as you'll see in a moment. Mary and uh, Jesus were certainly the eldest. He was the firstborn to Mary and to Joseph. Um, But Mary and Joseph had at least five, um, no, four other sons, and at least two, and probably more, girls. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 15 to 16, which is on the screen. Next slide. I need the marker, I think. 
When Jesus goes to uh, Nazareth, or he turns there, and he stands up in the synagogue and he preaches, and the people object to him. Who is this guy? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Joseph's son, he was a carpenter. Uh, isn't it his mother Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't they here with us? And then Matthew says, and aren't all his sisters with us? When they... When the, where then did this man get these things? Mark just simply said, and his sisters, plural, yes. So it's at least two. In fact, in the traditions of the very early church, we know their names. We don't really, but back then people just couldn't stand not knowing things, so they came up with names. You want to know what they are? Shame on you. <coughs> Rachel and Leah, for those who are really curious. We don't know that's true or not. James is always mentioned first, but notice that Matthew says, all his sisters. If he had two sisters, wouldn't they simply say, and his sisters, as Mark says it? But that word all, I mean, I can't be dogmatic, but the way I read it, it just sounds to me like all his sisters sounds like at least three, and maybe more. Anyway. The point is, Jesus grew up in a large family, and James is always mentioned first whenever the family is listed, um, and that probably means, as how I'm taking it, that he is the eldest. He's the second eldest in the family, but is the eldest of the brothers. As I said, he's always mentioned first. So James, our focus for this morning, is a blood relative, a blood brother, a biological sibling to the Lord Jesus. Same mother, different father. Here is the overview of James's life, and then we're going to go reasonably quickly through it. He grew up with Jesus in Nazareth. We'll come to these in a moment. He didn't believe or follow Jesus during Jesus' earthly life, during his public ministry. <clears throat> in fact, some tensions are evident that they developed between Jesus and the family, and particularly the brothers. Um, and yet, when you get to the book of Acts, the Lord Jesus has ascended and you have James and Mary, the brothers, present in the upper room, part of the 120 who are waiting for Pentecost and the descent of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. He's there. He became a leader in the church in Jerusalem until about 62 AD, which we'll come back to. <clears throat> he wrote a letter to the church, James. He had a brother, the fourth brother. What are you doing, Mark? Go back. You're naughty. Don't give away clues. Go back to Matthew, text for me if you can. Um, the first brother is James, and depending on the order, Simon and Judas sometimes swap around, but Judas changed his name. I wonder why. And he became known as Jude. He wrote a letter in the Bible as well in the New Testament. So James and Jude are brothers of the Lord Jesus, as will flip through in a minute, you'll see it in the text of scripture. So he became a leader, wrote a letter. James is a man who, by the evidence that we can see, little bits here and there, and you put the story together, his life was transformed when he started to follow Jesus. Well, let's begin. Let me start with something firstly, his name. He's called James, and that's in all of our English Bibles, and he always has been called James for the last 400, 500 years. It's an English translation issue. It's not his real name. His real name was Jacob, Yaakov, because he was Hebrew or Aramaic. But when that got translated into the Greek, and when the Greek got translated into the Latin, when the Latin got translated into the English, it became James. 
But if you go back to the very original text, you'll find that he's called Jacob. So was his grandfather. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, that Jacob became the father of Joseph, and Joseph was the father of Jesus and James. And the grandfather's name is Jacob. Anyway, it's just interesting, isn't it? Um, he's always mentioned first, as I said, because I think he's the eldest in the family and the responsibility will fall to him when Jesus hits public ministry. Aside from this James, the brother of Jesus, there are at least four and maybe seven other Jameses mentioned in the New Testament. Scholars like to argue and write articles about it. and Sometimes the minimum number is four, including the brother of Jesus. The two other, two other Jameses we know of are certainly apostles, James, the son of Zebedee, James and John. But there's also another James who was an apostle, James, son of Alphaeus, or in Mark, James the younger, James the less. And we are assuming, I'm assuming, that they're all referring to the same person, not a different one, which is how you get the difference in numbers. And then there's another James, and he's the father of two other disciples, Thaddeus and another Judas. So James, the father of. You can tell by the context, just like in our world, if you had a group of people or a church where people have the same name, how do you tell which one you're talking about? Well, you either talk about either their family line, the son of, or you call them a nickname, or you talk about their, where they came from, Jesus of Nazareth, to distinguish him from other Jesuses that were around. And so in the context, you can usually work it out. Like I said, sometimes it is a little bit difficult. Or you gave them some sort of title, like James the Less, or James the Younger. Or as Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, called him Rocky as we said last week. Right, here we go. James grew up with Jesus in Nazareth. And by, <clears throat> I mean, I'm reading into the text a little bit, just go by, going by historical and archaeological uh, knowledge that scholars have unearthed. Uh, in the first century, they lived in the north, up in Galilee. Joseph was the father, and we know from Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph, the dad, was a very godly man, a righteous man who wrestled with Mary being betrothed to him but pregnant and expecting Jesus. And Matthew calls him a righteous man. It was a devout family. They attended synagogue. They would have been educated and gone to school. All of those things, particularly the boys. Girls didn't tend to get educated in those days. They stayed at home and they were given domestic duties. That's what we refer to as the good old days. But since then, women have got the vote and the world's just gone downhill. Joking, not serious, not... Mm. <clears throat> uh, in the north, there was a, a son of Herod. Herod Antipas was the king. Um, he was an Edomite like his father and also he loved Greek culture, Greek customs, Greek buildings and he was the king of the north where Jesus would have grown up under the influence of this man. That's the king, the guy that Jesus called that fox. Um, but interesting, just over the hill from Nazareth, there was a Roman settlement city called Sepphoris. And it was Herod Antipas who threw a lot of money into the building projects of buildings and furnitures and developing this Roman colony, if you like, Sepphoris. And because it's just over the hill, it meant there would have been a lot of work for carpenters. Jesus... James and the other brothers would have been trained in the trade of the father. 
So don't think of Jesus. I think it's incorrect to think of Jesus and his family as peasants, as very, very poor. Nor are they part of the aristocracy. They're not rich. They're in the middle. They work hard with their hands, but they are being provided for well in their family upbringing. This is the background for James. Um, what else can I tell you? So he's the second son in a, in a religious family, in a region governed by a Greek-loving king, and with a father making a good living, building in wood or, you know, working with furniture or something. But the text indicates that there are some tensions that are going to develop in the family. <clears throat> when Jesus went, at the age of 12, went to Jerusalem um, for his bar mitzvah, where he becomes the son of the commandments. James and the others would have gone as well, but they're not mentioned, which is interesting. Um, and then Jesus stays behind, you know the story, and he's asking questions and answering questions and demonstrates amazing insight at the age of 12. And they must have spoken about that, I assume, on the way home. That who is this guy? Where does he get this sort of theological knowledge and insight into the scriptures and so on? Here are the younger brothers looking up to the older brother and, and so on. By the time that Jesus hits the age of 30, or his early 30s, he leaves home and is called to a public ministry. When he left home, the responsibilities for the family would have fallen to James on the assumption that Joseph, the father, has already passed away by this stage. He's last mentioned in Scripture when Jesus was 12 years of age and he's not mentioned again. So if that's the case, then the responsibilities for the family fall to James. Um, and in Scripture, we get these subtle hints that things weren't well. Next slide. Uh, certainly James did not, or the other brothers didn't believe in him. So let me go to the Scriptures. Next slide. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 6, where he's preaching in that synagogue for that very first time. And they ask the question, who is this guy? Aren't his brothers and his sisters and his mum, aren't they all here? We know who he is. It's, this is, he's not the Messiah, whoever he thinks he is. Jesus said, notice this, a prophet is not without honour except in his hometown, Nazareth, among his own relatives who were in Nazareth, and in his own home. The local people and his relatives, whatever that is, of, you know, relatives of Mary and Joseph and cousins and all the rest of it, uncles and aunts. And Jesus draws attention to the fact, and in his own home, he's not without honour. Next slide. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 12, the first miracle that Jesus talks about, it's after this, when he's done, turned the water into wine. Verse 12 tells us that Jesus returned uh, with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. So Jesus, while he left home, still had some contact with home. Next slide. When Jesus goes into his public ministry, in fact, the family were becoming increasingly concerned about Jesus, and the concern was of such a nature, it was so serious, they decided that they would come to where he was preaching, and they intended to take him home, away from the crowds, because he's lost it. He's beside himself, he's out of his mind, as it says there. So they go off, the family, the brothers, the sisters, to get him. Next slide. And when they get there, <clears throat> your mother and your brothers are here to take you home. And Jesus says to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers and who are my sisters? 
Those who listen to the word of God, those who listen to me and my teaching, that's my mother, that's my brother, that's my sister. That must have been a, like a disassociation of Jesus with them. It's partly him protecting them, but it's also this growing gap. And then you come to the next slide, you come to John chapter 7, where it's the part of the reading that Jennifer read to us. Festival of Tabernacles comes, Jesus' brothers said to him, they're aware that he's doing things, and I think they think, this is about two years into Jesus' ministry, I think they think he has Messianic, he's a self-seeking Messianic pretender. They don't think he's real. They say he's in it for the fame or the glory or for something else. So they say to him, um, you're doing these things, why don't you go and show the world? Don't act in secret. If you want to be a public figure, then you've got to go public. And right at the end, because even his own brothers did not believe in him. Just before we go any further, just think about that. Jesus, the Son of God, perfect in righteousness, living with these people. And they don't become followers. They believed in God. They were devout. It's quite possible, and I don't know about your family situation, but it's quite possible for you to be a devout follower of the Lord Jesus and for the family to not agree with you. You can live the authentic life at home. That by itself will not change human hearts. God's got to do a work. Here is the example of Jesus himself. Of course, this is going to change dramatically. But that's what it was like for about 30 years with Jesus and his brothers. So... Let's move on. Here you have the brothers. <clears throat> I guess I wrote this. I guess it's hard to swallow your brother. Uh, it's your brother, the one you grew up with, ate and played with, went to school with and worked with, that he, in fact, is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. It'd be difficult to come to that conclusion, wouldn't it? And then you have the other synagogue leaders suggesting the same, that they didn't believe in him either. That's in Mark chapter 6. And yet, as I said before, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, you find... Um, Mary and his brothers in prayer in the upper room with 120. What changed from six months ago where they don't believe in him to now they do and they are present? Well, you know the answer. It's the resurrection. If we go to the next slide, then the Lord Jesus appeared to James. Jesus appeared to Peter, Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, who most are still alive and haven't died yet, haven't fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. The Gospels never mention this, they don't describe it, it's not referred to, but the Apostle Paul tells us this. Then he appeared to James, then to the Apostles, and to the rest he appeared to the Apostle Paul himself. What changed James? An encounter with the living, resurrected Jesus. That's what transformed him. It's hard not to believe, I guess, if you see your brother who was once dead, crucified, actually walking around and talking. And James came to believe that Jesus was the Christ, he was the Son of God, and he was the Saviour from their sin. It was a sudden transformation, a sudden conversion, as conversions can sometimes be. And you, in James's life, we see the transformation of a young sceptic regardless of all the evidence that was provided to, to him, into suddenly a transformed disciple of the Lord Jesus. In fact, in James chapter 1 and verse 1, he addresses himself and calls himself James, 
a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He moved from calling him brother to being Lord. That's a difficult but necessary transition to make, as it would be for Mary, from calling him son to calling him Lord. And it would be a little bit like growing up in the royal family where you're playing with your sister <clears throat> and you can call her Liz when you're a kid, but when she becomes queen, suddenly she's not Liz anymore. Now she's your majesty. There's a transformation, an attitude that has to change. And that happened for James, next slide, and it also happened for Jude, the other brother. Jude says, a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. Notice neither of them say, I was a brother of Jesus. The Apostle Paul will refer to James that way, but they never refer to themselves that way. They refer to themselves simply as a follower, a servant, a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Um, from the moment that James encounters the risen Jesus, then his life becomes wholehearted in serving him and his church. And so James is being transformed. He's moved from the north, he's now living in Jerusalem, and the next slide we find that he has become a leader in the church in the south. In fact, he's going to become the dominant leader in the church in Jerusalem, according to the book of Acts and according to early church traditions. Um, Ten years later, roughly, when the Apostle Paul goes to Jerusalem, uh, he goes up to meet with Peter, Cephas, and he stayed with him 15 days, just over two weeks. I didn't see any of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. He's a significant leader, a significant disciple. And you can read the text and you can read it two ways, but does that imply that James had become an apostle? I saw none of the other apostles except James. Maybe doesn't have to be read that way, but some certainly do read it that way. Um, James is still head of the church. He becomes, early church tradition, the first bishop in Jerusalem. And 14 years later, he's still leading the church in Jerusalem and there is a crisis that hits the very early developing church. You know about this, Acts 15. Next. This crisis had hit the church where Jewish background... And when they went out sharing the gospel, they thought that once you become, when you're a Gentile and you become a disciple of Jesus, you have to become Jewish. You have to leave your Gentile ways and you have to become Jewish as well as Christian. And so it was necessary for you to be circumcised and if you're not, then you can't be saved. Sharp dispute broke out about it. Paul and Barnabas disputed it. They decided they'll go to Jerusalem where they'll gather the apostles and the elders together and they'll debate this. And then in the midst of the debate, after Peter has spoken and Paul has spoken and Barnabas has spoken, all these heavies have spoken, when they had finished, James spoke. Next slide. And this is what he says. He talks about, brothers, listen to me. And he refers to the prophets. He knows the scriptures. It is my judgment and it's a balanced, compromising position. What we should do is write to them, and they do. They construct a letter. And in, if you read it through Acts 15, you'll say James makes four points. And those four points appear in the letter that the apostles and the church agreed to send to the Gentiles. He was a man of influence. He was a man who had a balanced leadership and in a very difficult situation found a median way where the church could continue to go forward. Stay away from sexual immorality, he says. Don't eat meat offered to idols. Don't eat uh, animals that have been strangled and don't consume blood. 
So you don't have to change any other of your dietary laws. Pork and prawns are still on the menu. It's quite okay. But be careful of the steaks with too much blood in them. Be aware of your Jewish brothers and sisters. You don't have to become Jewish, but the Jews are everywhere. They're in every city. Just be culturally sensitive in presenting the gospel of Jesus. That's James. So James presided over this, what they call the Apostolic Council in Jerusalem, and he is quite significant in the construction of the Apostolic Decree, that letter that went out. James continues to stay in Jerusalem for the next 10 years or so, still the leader. And he writes to the church. I think it's the next slide. Next. He um, writes the letter that we now call James. And in that, he... Some people want to say it's not a very good letter. Martin Luther certainly said that, said it's right story epistle. Throw it away. shouldn't be in the New Testament. <clears throat> Much more recent research and scholars' study have indicated amazing links between what James writes and what Jesus taught. And the parallels is quite a lengthy list. That it would appear that James became an avid student of his elder brother and ends up repeating the same ideas, the same concepts in his own way, but they're there. If you parallel the Sermon on the Mount with the letter of James, you'll see amazing parallels. Here are some of them. Um, he was a man of influence who wanted to write and encourage. He was thoroughly biblical in his approach and very balanced. Yeah, he said things like, when you're facing adversity, face it with joy. James 1, 2. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Jesus says exactly the same thing in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people persecute you, say all manner of evil against you. He wrote to the church and said, Our Heavenly Father is generous and we need to be ready to be generous too. James 1, 5, 1, 17. That God is a generous God. He warns about worldliness, just like Jesus did. You can't serve two masters. You hate one, you love the other. And the list goes on and on and on. He emphasizes we need to read and obey God's word, not just hear it, but we need to be doing it, practicing it, living it out, just like Jesus said. Be kind and be merciful to others. Control your tongue. Bridle your tongue. Uh, you'll know one another by the fruits that you bear in your life. Don't judge others. And he particularly has a lot to say about unity and about wealth. Be aware of breaking the unity and be aware of being seduced by the wealth. You're familiar, I think, with the letter and you can encourage you to read it again this afternoon and listen to what this man taught the early church. James died in AD 62. He had ruled from the mid-30s, ruled he'd been in leadership since the mid-30s, certainly the late 30s, until that period of time. In AD 62, Josephus tells us, a Roman historian, Jewish background, but Roman historian, wrote for the Romans. He says that between two Roman governors, one died, and before the other one came into place, the Jews put in place a high priest by the name of Annas, Enon, sorry. And he only ruled for three months, but he was particularly strict and legalistic. He convened the Sanhedrin to come together, and they condemned several people, among and including James, the brother of Jesus whom Josephus simply writes was stoned to death. 
Hegesippus, who is a second century historian, it's quoted by Eusebius, he says, in fact, they took James up to the pinnacle of the temple and they threw him off. That didn't kill him, so then they stoned him. And then they, excuse me, hit him with a club to make sure he was dead. Why am I telling you all of that? For this one very interesting fact. The place where he died is where they buried him, Jerusalem. I'm not sure how many of the exact year, but say 10 years ago, they found this little ossuary, a little box, that when a person died in the ancient world, and this is what would have happened to Jesus, they put you in a tomb, the body will decay, the flesh will fall from the bones, and then they'll collect up the bones and they'll put them respectfully and neatly into a ossuary. And we've discovered these. There's hundreds of them they are found archaeologically. This one particular one they found that on the side of it is an inscription written in Aramaic and so not readily identified by the authorities because the names are different names. And on the side of it, it says, Yaakov, son of Yosef, brother of Yeshua, which being translated means James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. And of course, the debate rages now, is these true and genuine or not? You can do the research and find out where you want to land. For me, I think they are genuine. And if they are genuine, then excluding the Shroud of Turin, with whatever you think about that, then here is the very first physical link to the historical Jesus. It's very interesting. James, the brother of Jesus. What's his legacy? Just flip through, Mark. Uh, let me read them, but... Let's go through it. Uh, his legacy is in his life and his discipleship. He demonstrates the truth and the power of Jesus from a sneering skeptic to a devout and passionate follower of Jesus based on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So too for us. Next. Scripture and prayer permeates his life and his writing. It permeates his speeches in the book of Acts and prayer, certainly, he mentions strongly in his letter. He not just wrote about it, he actually practiced it because one thing I didn't tell you was that Hegesippus, second century historian, remember I said James, uh, they gave different nicknames to people to distinguish them? By this time, AD 60s, James had a reputation for being a very righteous man. So they called him James the Just, James the Righteous One. But he had another nickname. Does anybody know what it is? Pastor Charlie does. Camel's knees. Camel knees. How did he get that name? Well, Hegesippus, that second century historian, he writes, James was often found in the temple on his knees, praying for the conversion of his people, the Jewish people. He did it so often for so long that his knees became as hard as camels. And so his nickname, they used to call him, was Camel's Knees. Scripture and prayer permeated his life as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Submission to God's sovereign allowance of difficult circumstances is what he taught. We live in a world where things go wrong, where sometimes things are inexplicable. We don't understand why. Let me push the pause button and tell you just one example of that. <clears throat> uh, the other day, Friday I think it was, I was visiting uh, John and Bronwyn in hospital and John asked that question, this doesn't make sense. Why do we have to go through this sort of thing of this 
end-of-life process can be quite sometimes dragged out and difficult. There doesn't appear to be any reason to it. And different people have written lovely cards for them and he said, and I got this one, takes the card out. And this lady had written this beautiful card to Bronwyn and said, you know, you've been, we've been friends for years and you've had a big influence on my life and what you're not aware of is that many years ago I had drifted from my, in my relationship with Jesus. But watching you over the last couple of years, I have recommitted my life to follow him. And John goes, I don't understand why she has to go through this, but there's part of the reason. That God is using her even in this circumstance of life. That's what James teaches. Submit to God's will in the difficult circumstances of life. Lord, I don't like it, I don't understand it, but I know you're in control, I know you're allowing it, so let me be submissive to you and cooperate with what you're intending. And then, of course, James advocates care for others, particularly brothers and sisters in the church, but not just them, but also for outsiders, that we are to be living witnesses of the Lord Jesus. Pushing that all together, like we said last week, here are the three C's. To be committed to God every day, every day. To connect with one another every week. Church, connect groups, accountability groups, what ministry groups, whatever. Connect with one another every week. Don't drift. And concern for others, <coughs> outsiders, at every opportunity. And God is the one who will give you those divine appointments. Summary. His name, James, Jacob. He grew up with Jesus in Nazareth. There were family tensions that developed. He was an early skeptic who met the risen Jesus. He's present in the upper room and there at Pentecost was anointed and baptized in the Spirit. His life was changed. He moves from the north to Jerusalem where he becomes a wise and godly leader. His influence is seen in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and for the next 25 years or so he rules. He's the leading, one of the strong leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He wrote to scattered believers a letter that we still read in our New Testaments today. He died in AD 62. James was a man transformed by Jesus who loved God and who loved people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we've been talking about this man because this man teaches us a little bit about what it means as we follow you. As you changed him, so Lord, change us. May the reality of the risen Jesus impact our lives and may our commitment to prayer, relying on you, your word, listening to you and trusting your sovereignty, may they permeate our lives that others might come to know Jesus personally, be forgiven for their sins and have their lives changed and improved for eternity. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>